And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. Well, it won't be Stan and Craig this morning, but we will bat around some baseball topics anyway with myself, Glenn Clark. Brittany is with me this morning as well. Good morning, Brittany. Good morning, Glenn. Uh, it's good to be back here on a Saturday morning. Actually, you know what? I'm glad that you and I are... So the last time that Brittany and I worked together, unfortunately, was the first day after the Maryland scandal had broken. And she uh, was in for Kyle on my show, Glenn Clark Radio, which you can listen to uh, 10 to noon every Monday through Friday here at uh, pressboxonline.com slash radio. And I felt genuinely bad because that was a very serious show. It was a very... Um, I don't know if solemn's the right word, but it was, you know, obviously things were, it was a very significant scandal, as we've seen. What has uh, occurred since then is DJ Durkin was placed on leave, and, and clearly at the heart of it, you had the, the, the death of a young man that was so needless and so unnecessary. And so we didn't, we weren't able to have any fun that morning. It was just a very kind of stoic, um, difficult show to get through. And so I'm glad that this morning, you know, we can have a much more fun topic to talk about, like the fact that the Orioles can't win a baseball game. Right, so yeah, yeah even better. Actually, that's not true. They won three this week, which um, was really weird. <laughs> like it was just a really weird thing. I, I like okay, Brittany. I, this is I, admittedly I don't know this about you. Are you an Orioles fan? I am an Orioles fan. Okay. Yes. Are, but like, are you an Orioles fan that's like invested no matter what, or are you more like an Orioles fan where like when they're playing really well, I'll be watching. When it's like this, I'll probably pass. So I'm still very invested in okay. the team. Okay, all right. But, like, I have noticed myself not really tuning into many games yeah. this season. Yeah, this is the awkward part about this for me. And, like, I hope that you'll listen to the show anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I am probably more in that category. And it's not it's not because I can't be. And I, this, is an, this is a weird thing. It's one of the things I wanted to talk about in this first segment. we got a lot to do in the bat round today. Uh, coming up later on, and we're going to talk a lot this morning about uh, the Orioles and the Royals and this electric series they're playing this weekend in Kansas City uh, with the number one pick in the baseball draft perhaps at stake, with the loser of the series really being the winner between the two of them as the the likely number one overall pick will go to... I pres- Look, I guess like the Orioles already lost one in this series. They could lose all three and then start playing good baseball again and end up not getting the number one overall pick. But if they were to get swept in Kansas City this weekend, it would go a long way into potentially ensuring the Orioles of the number one pick in the 2019 MLB draft. So we'll talk a lot about this series and about uh, the players that are thought of as perhaps being the number one overall pick, Bobby Witt Jr. and Adley Rutschman. Witt is the uh, shortstop, uh, high school shortstop from Texas, the son of the former MLB pitcher. Rutschman is the catcher at Oregon State. Um, in fact, uh, there's a, there was a great column this week at The Athletic. Rustin Dodd, who covers the Royals for The Athletic, uh, wrote about, you know, he's been poking around with scouts and industry types and... He doesn't think it's as much a consensus that it's definitely Bobby Witt as everybody else does. He, in fact, says there are plenty of them that say they prefer Rutschman with the number one overall pick. So we're going to talk to Rustin Dodd about that as well as about the Royals and how bad they've been. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Obviously, a lot of people have been written, writing the stories this week about we're only four years removed from these two teams meeting 
for the right to go to the World Series. And now they're meeting as two of the historically worst teams in the history of baseball. I mean, not just the worst teams this year. These two teams are both on pace to be among the five worst teams to ever play baseball this season. It is really staggering how things have turned so quickly for the Orioles and Royals. But we'll talk more about that. As I said, Rustin Dodd from The Athletic joins us a little bit later on. Um, We're going to get more of a scouting report on both of the two players that are at the top of the draft, Bobby Witt and Adley Rutschman, the prizes from this weekend's series. Um, We'll check in with uh, Burt Granger from 2080 Scouting a little bit later on in the show and find out really why it is that these players are being thought of so highly. And uh, in just a few minutes, we're actually going to chat with Matt Kremnitzer from The Athletic. He writes about the Orioles for The Athletics, used to, or for The Athletic, used to be at uh, Camden Depot, and uh, get his thoughts on how the rebuild is going. The Orioles were not able to move anybody else before the August 31st deadline. There were a couple of trades made last night, and I think the Indians getting Josh Donaldson. I know Josh Donaldson hasn't necessarily been like Josh Donaldson this season, but... I, there's something tells me you get into a place like that and an opportunity like that in Cleveland, he's got a chance to to maybe remind you that he still is Josh Donaldson, and that could end up being a really significant type of deal um, that was made on August 31st. I know uh, Curtis Granderson and Gio Gonzalez went to Milwaukee. So a couple of teams, Andrew McCutcheon, of course, went to the Yankees the other night. So a couple of teams were able to make some moves before the deadline, the secondary deadline, the waiver trade deadline. But the Orioles were not able to move uh, Mark Trumbo, and obviously, I guess Adam Jones never agreed uh, to waive uh, his ten and five rights, so they weren't able to move him, and so no more moves for the Orioles ahead of the secondary deadline. And so now that's it for in season. Now any moves the Orioles might make will have to come out of season. So uh, that's what's coming up on today's show. Also, a little bit later on, I had the chance earlier this week to chat with Chris Lee. This is a fascinating story. Chris Lee was once upon a time, not that long ago, the top pitching prospect in the entire Orioles system. And for the last couple of years, we've been talking about whether or not he would be able to be make an impact on the Major League Club that season. And then it just sort of came apart a little bit for Chris Lee. Um, the, not just from, I know he dealt with some injuries, but his effectiveness just sort of went away. And got to a point where the Orioles just flat out removed him from the 40-man roster and said anybody that wants him can have him. They basically cast him aside after being legitimately the guy in the system. Nobody took him. The Orioles were able to get him back down and reassign him to double A and say, all right, I guess we'll just try all over again. Move Chris Lee to the bullpen, and all of a sudden Chris Lee has been a really effective pitcher out of the bullpen for the Orioles, So, or for the Bay Sox, that is. So maybe finding second life and a new opportunity to perhaps get to the major league level and and help out the Orioles at that level. And now at 26 years old, we'll listen in on that chat that I had with Chris Lee later on in the program as well. But I'm interested in knowing from you guys this morning. And hit me up on Twitter, at Glenn Clark Radio, with your thoughts on this. I I admittedly, Brittany, I am very similar to where you are. I am not as invested night in and night out. And that's not surprising, right? When the team is this bad, at some point during the year, you're not going to be able to stay as invested on in every pitch. Like, at the beginning of the year, even as things were going south, I was still invested in every pitch for a couple of reasons. I think one of the reasons is because for at least the first few months of the season, you're just so excited to have baseball back that even if the results are poor, 
you just want to watch. It's what you've got. You have baseball. You don't really have anything else. This is this is what there is. Um, and so even when it doesn't look good, there's always the chance that it might turn around at some point. Um, you never know when you might go on like a 10-game win streak and the season kind of turns. And really it's just I, I love baseball. I'm happy to have baseball, even if the baseball isn't very good right now. Um, I like the option of having it. I don't know when it turns, and it might be related to the summer and you having other options for things to do, going on vacation, going to the beach, whatever it is. I, I don't know. And we hadn't had to deal with this in a very long time. It's been a very long time since we've dealt with a season like this where it was just worthless. So I was trying to remember what it was like in 2010, 2009, 2008. I was, and, and look, I say it's been a very long time. It's it's been a decade, right? Um, and whether or not it was similar for me, but I just experienced a moment this summer where I just said, "All right, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm gonna start looking for for other things to watch, so I don't have to put myself through this." And n not necessarily even like other sporting events. Like right now, I'm a huge tennis fan, so it's nice. I've got the U.S. Open. It's keeping me company. I could watch Venus and Serena last night, and that was awesome. And then I watched Juan Martin Del Potro afterwards, and I'm I'm good myself personally. Glenn Clark watching tennis, but it, it's not even just tennis. Like I found myself going back and watching like old Dave Chappelle comedy specials the last couple of weeks. Like I'm looking for things. I uh, I took in season one of American Vandal on Netflix, which everybody had told me was amazing, and I never gave it a chance. And they were right. It is a it's brilliant. Great. Oh my I god, love that show. what a show that is! They're doing a season two. Oh, fantastic! Which I guess is good because you never really do get the answer right as to who actually did it at the end of season one, right? Like you're you're sort of waiting around, and like they tell you they they give they present a theory as to who it was but they don't confirm that that was the answer and so they just leave that hanging there so i guess they're going back to the same topic in season two and not creating a whole new thing but either way i'm all in it's, it's a brilliant show um but that's the type of thing i've been doing instead of watching baseball and i feel bad because like i'm supposed to come in and talk about it not just here on the bat around but on my show every day but the truth is i don't sense that anybody else is invested night in and night out either i think it's at the point where you accept that it's still happening if there's nothing else on, you might poke in. I think there was a little bit of interest in this series this weekend because of the fact that these are the two worst teams and the number one pick is at stake. But outside of that, it's not as if they've even had somebody. I think the first night that Cedric Mullins got called up, I think there was some excitement and some people were invested in that. And I remember watching that because I wanted to see Cedric Mullins and I had a player that you had wanted to see called up. But that was it. And I'm sure they're going to call some more guys up in the next couple of weeks now that we're into the roster expansion, uh, as today is September 1st. But I don't know that they're going to call up anybody that we have significant hopes for. Like, I don't know that there's anybody they're going to call up. I, I assume that when Bowie season's over, that Austin Hayes gets called back up. Um, but I think considering how it went for Austin Hayes this year and the fact that he's been up before, it's not like he's going to make his major league debut. I don't know that suddenly there's a boatload of excitement for Austin Hayes getting called up again. I guess they could call up DJ Stewart, and like that would be somewhat interesting, and maybe somebody would want to tune in. But there's just very little that they can do, even in the call-up department, that's going to make people inclined that they have to watch. Josh Rogers made his first start the other night, and that was cool. But it's not like we think Josh Rogers is a significant part of the rebuild. 
he's just sort of a guy and he's a really likable guy i had him on the show he's awesome his family's great they all started following me and they've been interacting with me and they're super cool and i'm super happy for him because he's a great dude and he pitched really well the other night and that was cool it was cool to see him and david hess on back-to-back nights two guys that we don't really think of as being like key parts of the rebuild but guys as i as i keep saying these are guys who we might not think a ton of their value right now but i think one thing that any of these players can do is become truly found money and that if they can produce at the major league level for a season or two they could end up being really valuable parts for the orioles to then spin for more in trades at that point even if the orioles can't hold on and wait for them or hope that they can sustain their success until the orioles are ready to win again they could also be guys that you could trade high higher than you thought you were going to have value for them when you acquired them and hopefully land you something else that could ultimately be a part whenever you get through this rebuilding process so those are nice things but again not things that have me invested necessarily in the orioles so my question becomes if you're in the same boat as me and as Brittany just admitted that she was where look we're fans but it's just not right now we're just sort of checked out a little bit like just a little bit you know that next season is not going to be much better than this the Orioles are telling you that they're not trying to hide from it this is not a well you know we made some trades but this offseason we're going to change our mind and go out we're going to sign a bunch of guys and we're going to go for it next year unless they're just flat out liars and there's I, I, I get that probably somebody's sitting back and saying hey I feel like I've been lied to before I get it but I think um, with John and Lou Angelo sort of taking over, I'd, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I don't think, based on the moves they made, it would be really stupid for them to not go through a full rebuild. The assumption is they're going to go into next year, and it's probably only going to be worse. Like, Adam Jones is going to be gone. Mark Trumbo they're going to try to move on from. Um, we'll see if anybody's willing to trade for him, and they'll probably have to take pennies on the dollar and, and maybe pay some of what the money that's left for Mark Trumbo. But Mark Trumbo is likely to be gone. Um, there's not a whole lot more that they can trade, unfortunately. We like still that's have Chris Davis. Yes, Chris Davis <laughs> sadly is going nowhere. That's just the way that it is, and he's going to continue to be a problem. Now, whether or not Chris Davis remains to get at bats, that's that remains to be seen. It might be that going into next year they say, all right, look, we can't get rid of him. He's here, but we are not giving him we're going to go into next season trey mancini is going to be our first baseman and the outfield will be you know stewart mullins and hayes you know what i mean that's those are going to be the guys and mancini plays first base and davis can get some at bats as a dh uh, but we're not going to continue to work around chris davis we think the trey mancini is our first baseman for the future so we want to get him there and let him be the guy comfortably so you know so you're the guy now and go do it that'll be interesting to see if that would be something they would consider but like, they could try to move Tim Beckham, but honestly, who wants Tim Beckham? Yeah. Um, they might try to move Jonathan VR, who's actually been, you know, uh, okay since he was acquired. I, I still thought it was weird when they acquired him, but they needed somebody to play second base, and they would still have an issue as to who would play second base if they were to move on from him. But um, might be somebody that they think they can get something for. But for the most part, it's going to be the same guys. Alex Cobb's actually pitched really well. As, as poor of a start as Alex Cobb got off to, he's pitched really well. So maybe he's a guy that they think they can move in the offseason and try to get something back for. We'll see. 
Um, his numbers still for the year will not look great because of what a poor start he got off to, but he has pitched really well in the second half of the season. So I bring all that up to say I'm being really long-winded this morning. i got to try to stay, stay on the path. Um, bring all that up to say, do you think the way that you're feeling right now, your disassociation from the Orioles night in and night out, it's not going to be better as far as the product is concerned a year from now. It might be more interesting because there are young players or younger players because you're seeing some more of these guys that are probably going to come up. But the notion that they're going to do much better than being one of the worst teams in baseball, nah, that's who they're going to be again next year. Are you worried? Are you, are you expecting that these feelings that you've had in the second half of this season are going to linger into next year because it's probably going to be this bad once again? Or do you think, hey, when I get the next year, hope springs eternal, baseball is back, you never know what year your team might end up being this year's Oakland A's, right? Like, nobody thought the A's were going to be any good at all. And not only have they been good, they've been one of the better teams in all of baseball. Do you think that next year you'll be back on board? You'll be, you'll be willing to go to games knowing it's not going to be good, knowing that you're not going to have marquee players to watch. There's no Manny Machado. There's no Jonathan Scope. There's going to be no even Adam Jones. It's just going to be guys. Are you going to be more of where you are right now, or do you feel like new year, new season, you're on board with the rebuild, and so you'll be willing to buy into it a year from now, and you'll be invested again in the Orioles, despite the fact that the results are likely to be the same as what they've been this season? Brittany, I'll let you uh, chime in first as I'm going to try to get some uh, folks, get some responses from po- people on Twitter. Okay. Um, I think my spirits will be high again for next season. I'm very on board with the rebuild. I think it needed to happen a few seasons ago, um, but I'm excited. I don't know where it's going to lead, but I want to see these guys have a good chance, and I think Maybe they will surprise everybody. Okay, I like that. And I, I think that speaks to some of the things that I suggested, right? Like, um, I, I'm not, I, the only part that I, I, I have no thought in my mind that they're going to surprise anybody next season, right? Like, I'm, and uh, in a way, that's probably actually the worst thing that could happen. And I know that's, that sounds odd, but like in a rebuild, you need to keep bringing in high-level talent. And the best way to do that, we know, is through the draft, and the best way to make sure that you're getting high-level talent is to have an early draft pick, one that you can't screw up. Um, and so, in a way, for the first couple of years of a rebuild, you kind of need to suck. Like, it's a goofy thing, but, like, and the Orioles can never flat out come out and say that. But one of the things I brought up is somebody asked, well, who plays in the outfield next year? And I said, they, they don't need to go acquire an outfielder. They can just bring up Mike Yastrzemski. And I know that you don't think Mike Yastrzemski is a Major League Baseball player, and I don't really think Mike Yastrzemski is a Major League Baseball player, but that's kind of the point. The point is to say we don't want to bring in any Major League Baseball player who might accidentally help us win three more games. Yes, if one of these guys turns out to be, we'll, we'll take a look at our own guys, and we hope that Mike Yastrzemski ends up being a baseball player because either that means he can be part of the solution long term or we can just keep trading these guys until we get to the point where we think that we have the core of talent that we need. I think the worst thing for the Orioles 
is that they have sort of a surprising year, unless it's because so many of these young players so quickly became rock stars that it becomes sustainable, right? Like, if that's the case, if Cedric Mullins, DJ Stewart, Austin Hayes, you know, they're all rock star type. Might Ryan Mountcastle comes up next year. If they're all rock star type performers, right? If they all look like they're not, they're, we just missed on how we scouted them, and they're all really good really early. Well, that could change something, right? Because then you believe that you could surround them by a couple of other actual major league pieces, and maybe you're on to something way quicker than you would possibly be on to something. But short of that, like if next year it's that Andrew Kashner is still on this team and has a great year and everybody else is just good enough and that's how they end up being interesting, well, then they potentially set themselves back by not getting a number, uh, an early draft pick and not really being good enough for it to be sustainable in the middle of a rebuild. So in a goofy way, I, I, I would actually, I can't believe I'm saying this, I'd be more invested if they're really bad <laughs> because then I, I can see the fruits of a rebuild. And this is the part that I think people are struggling with. I think a lot of people in their, their hearts and their minds, they, they hear rebuild and they think, oh, this is only like a two or a three year thing. Like, guys, you got to be realistic. This is probably a five year type of situation. You've got to be really, really bad for a couple of years. And then you can have a couple of years where you're not good, but you can start to see the pieces coming together. When you look at the successful rebuilds of the last couple of years, and everybody points out um, the Cubs, the Astros obviously did this and went on to win World Series. The Phillies have gone through it recently and appear to be coming out from the other side of it. Um, the Indians, something along these lines. These were not organizations. The Astros were historically bad for multiple years. It took them five years. Now, when they got there, clearly they got there. But it took them five years. Five years is a way more realistic plan for a rebuild than three. Five years is what I think you need to be settling in for. And that's really tough because it smells like I'm saying baseball's not going to matter for a long time around here. And and I am. <laughs> like That's the, the reality of it. As I said before, get excited about going to see some minor league games for the next couple of years, right? Like, you know, Get that. Get the Bowie next season. Get the Frederick. Get the Aberdeen. Get the places where you're gonna have an opportunity to watch young talent, because that that might be more excited. There might be a lot more of Renato Nunez and and all of these guys that you have not. Jace Petersons of the world at the major league level. The Orioles at the major league level are more likely to be this or worse than they are to be better for the first couple of years of this. Now you're hoping in the process. Some of these pieces you've acquired in the trades that you made, using Neil Diaz and Dylan Tate and players along those lines, uh, Carmona and Carnacion, start showing signs of being the next core of successful Orioles players. If they end up with a number one pick, you're hoping that you know Bobby Witt, Adley Rutschman, whoever it ends up being, um, that they show those signs as well. But again, it's probably more along the lines of 2022 when any of this starts to look like if it's successful, if they got acquired the right players, drafted the right players, and developed them the right way, where any of this looks like it can pan out again. Um, and if not, that's probably about the time. If they're not having success with those guys, that's probably about the time that ownership would step in and say, all right, maybe we just need to start spending money again. Maybe the rebuild thing didn't work for us, and we just need to go start buying talent uh, once again because this didn't work the way that we wanted it to work. 
but be prepared to be in it for the long haul. I got this message from Dave. Dave says, Glenn, good morning. Good to hear you talking baseball. You haven't been doing a lot of that on your own show. That is true. Uh, you're right about good that. Good thing we have this one. Yeah, right. It's good to talk some baseball. He said, uh, I think I'm with you. As much as I've been checked out in the second half of the season, I feel like I will be back on board come next year. I don't know if it's that Hope Springs Eternal concept that you're talking about or if it's just the nature of wanting to believe, but for whatever reason, I think those are basically the same thing, uh, whatever reason, I feel as though next year I'll be back on board. But I think it could be very similar. I might be back on board for only a couple of months, and then if we get to the All-Star break and the Orioles are just as bad, I could start seeing myself wanting to be distracted by what's going on with the Ravens in training camp, what's going on elsewhere in the world of sports. I could start seeing myself not really wanting to pay attention night in and night out the way that I have right now. I feel like the All-Star break is about the place where I started to lose my attention span this year. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, like, I'm probably it was probably somewhere around there for me too. And you know what? If I'm my gut though this year is that it had something to do with Manny Machado. That I I had to watch night in and night out even when the Orioles were terrible because you still might see Manny Machado do something amazing. You still had one of the most talented players in the history of the game lining up and playing for your team. And so, yeah, I I had to watch. I had to watch because I didn't know what he might do. And then, honestly, once he was gone, I just didn't really know what I was tuning in for that Friday night after the All-Star break. Like, what am I tuning in to watch? A bad team be bad without without any good players? Like, I know Jonathan Scope had a nice stretch for the, the next 10 days after that before he was dealt as well. But, like, Manny Machado was what was keeping me glued to every game because you never knew it could be a really special night because he could just do something unbelievable. He could have he could hit three home runs. He could make a play, although he made fewer of them at shortstop than he did at third base. He could make a play unlike anything we've ever seen before, right? Because Manny Machado was always capable of doing those types of things. I feel like my checkout probably came along with when Manny Machado departed. I want more of that from you. Are are if you're checked out now? Knowing the Orioles are going to be terrible again, likely, a season from now, are you going to be checked back in? We say we're on board with the rebuild, but like, we watching baseball night in and night out during it, or is it going to be very similar to how you're feeling now? Yeah, we'll check in and see how they're doing, but we might have some other things on our mind and some other things that we want to do. So that's what I want to talk about with you this morning. Get to me on Twitter, at Glenn Clark Radio, with your thoughts. I am Glenn Clark, in for Stan and Craig, this morning here on The Bat Around. When we come back in, we're going to chat with Matt Kremnitzer from The Athletic. He covers the Orioles. We'll get his thoughts on the rebuild, how it's going, what they still need to do, all of those things. That's next. This is The Bat Around. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army Reserve, it is a core value. A value that brings together a variety of people from across the nation to answer the call to serve. Serving part-time in the U.S. Army Reserve means earning the respect of your community and your nation, all while pursuing your career and educational goals and staying close to home. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may qualify to earn up to $20,000 in bonuses when you join. To see if you qualify, visit GoArmy.com reserve or call 1-800-USA-ARMY paid for by the U.S. Army. 
It's Jerry's Toyota's Labor Day sales event with national clearance prices on hundreds of new Toyotas. Jerry's has new Toyota RAV4s with 0% financing available or 3000 cash back. New Toyota Camrys with payments from $149 a month or $1,000 cash back. Plus, every new Toyota comes with Jerry's exclusive extended service care. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road or visit jerrystoyota.com and unlock your special price. Special financing and lease with approved credit. Cash back from Toyota ends September 4th. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post-game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, post-game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. Our buddy Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is sweetened the menu with the Summer of Peach, featuring a chili and delicious white peach tea lemonade that combines tea and lemonade with fresh white peaches. Many of us were already mixing tea and lemonade, while Chick-fil-A added the extra twist of an essential summer taste, peach. Visit the official Glen Clark Radio Chick-fil-A store on Campbell Boulevard in Nottingham Square. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. The latest edition of PressBox is available now, and it's our annual college football preview edition, in which we offer thorough previews of the season for all of the FBS, FCS, and Division Three programs in the state. Additionally, the edition includes a preview of the high school football season for the region as well. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 rural farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Back in here on the bat around this morning as Glenn Clark in for Stan and Craig here on this Labor Day weekend. Uh, unfortunately, the weather doesn't look like it's... Although the sun maybe is threatening to come out now as I look again. This morning, it looked like it was going to be a little dreary today, uh, which would be a bummer for those of you that have uh, the final weekend of the summer plans, but uh, hope that the weather holds out for it. Let's continue to talk some Orioles this morning. Joining us now, he writes about the Orioles now at The Athletic. Uh, like it seems like everybody else in the world of sports media is doing. It's a pleasure to welcome in for the first time. I've been trying to make this happen for a bit with Matt Kremitzer, who joins us now here on The Bad Around. Matt, it's Glenn. It's good to talk to you, man. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for me this morning. 
Hey, good morning. How are you? Everything is good. Um, this is probably the is most exciting it's going to be this weekend for the Orioles in the second half of the season as there's something to play for. And, uh, you know, so far so good as far as the number one pick is concerned. Yeah, right. I think they're four games behind the Royals uh, in the loss column now. Uh, you know, a lot of fans uh, don't necessarily want to just see the team lose, but if you're going to keep losing, <laughs> right. you know, at least there's some consolation prize in the first right. overall pick. Right, no doubt about that. All right, let's talk about the rebuild uh, broadly because it's something that I, I feel like, you know, we, we talked about ad nauseum about a month ago after the trades are made, and then we've sort of settled on it from there. Is, uh, you know, there hasn't been any more movement. No one else has been dealt. What did you make of what the Orioles did in starting this process? And what do you think needs to happen now as we go into the offseason as far as truly making this the true rebuild, the full rebuild that it needs to be? Right, yeah. Uh, I think it was definitely a good start. I really liked the Scope and Machado deal, even if they probably waited too long to deal Machado and didn't get some you know higher-level pieces that they wanted to. But... Uh, it was a great start to the rebuild. They definitely added uh, a couple of the top prospects in their system now with Diaz, and uh, they added Tate and Ortiz, you know, as, as pitchers. Um, but they, they, for the most part, they added a lot of depth, and they need to keep this going, whether they uh, keep signing players internationally, whether that means they bring in Victor, Victor Mesa. Right. Uh, you know, they, they have to keep adding to it. They need more higher-level talent. And having the first or second overall pick, whatever happens, that should add to it. Um, they just they have to keep going. They need they need better players. They need to develop them, and um, they they just they they just need to keep that going. And uh, you know that also comes with add you know finding some certainty in terms of who's the next coach going to be. Is Duquette staying on as GM? All those things are, are huge things, and. You know, who's going to be the one making decisions going forward? Yeah, that's something that amazingly, here we are a month out from the end of the season, and we still don't know. And, I, you know, it's funny you bring it up, Matt, because, like, the way that Duquette was given such autonomy to make these these franchise-shaping deals, you know, we had a moment where I think a lot of us were thinking, well, maybe they are inclined to keep Dan Duquette around long-term. And, you know, maybe that that's what they're doing. But if that was the case, then I would have thought that, like, they would have announced that by now. And the fact that we here we are a month out makes me assume that, that there is still a likelihood that one of, if not both of these guys are going to be gone. It is it is really infuriating, the sort of the unknown that comes along with the, the, the man, manager and the general manager being a month out from their contracts being up, and we genuinely don't know what's happening there. Right, yeah. You think if they acted like a normal team and they were going to let Duquette you know, have the responsibility of making such a, you know, such big moves and moving Machado and Gossman. And the, the Gossman deal was especially surprising because he has, uh, you know, years right. left on his deal. But if they were going to let Duquette make those decisions, then you think that, you know, maybe he's going to stick around. Uh, and maybe, you know, Showalter would even move on and then Duquette would get to pick his manager. But, you know, this is the Orioles, so anything can really happen. Right. Um, it right. wouldn't surprise me if, if both left. It wouldn't even surprise me if both stayed on for another year or, or anything like that. Um, when it's the Orioles, you can't really rule anything out. Matt, one of the things that I've been trying to figure out is how many pieces are currently in the system. As I agree with you wholeheartedly. They still need a boatload of talent, and it's why I am in the, the camp that is rooting like hell for them to get the number one pick because it's it's something that would be very difficult to screw up. Um, and frankly, I think they might need that type of draft pick for the next couple of years in order to get those types of talents. But how many pieces do you think they already have in the system right now at any level 
that we can genuinely believe might be part of this whenever this rebuild comes to bear fruit. And I, I for me, as I've said on this show already this morning, I think a lot of people are hoping that it's a three-year plan. My gut tells me that a full rebuild is more like a five-year plan, and that's the window. But for you, how many pieces do you think the Orioles have they can really look at and say, this guy really has a chance to be a part of this thing when we get to the point that we're trying to get to? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would guess at least a few. I know they're really excited to add Diaz, uh, who, who's their, their top prospect now uh, right. in the outfield. Um, you know, maybe Mount Castle. Uh, the most exciting uh, pitcher in the system is D.L. Hall. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to the Orioles, it's hard to get too excited about a pitching prospect because you never know how they're going to develop them, what they're going to look like when they get to the majors, and if they'll ever be able to take that next step to become, a, you know, a number one or number two starter. Uh, people were hoping that Gossman and Bundy could get to that level. Well, that never really happened with Gossman. Uh, he was always up and down. And then, you know, you look what's going on with Bundy now. He's not a top-level arm. Some of that is to do with, with injuries, but it's it's hard to say. You know, it's hard to look at any pitcher in their system and be like, wow, this guy is really going to be an eighth. Right. But if anyone is that in, in that level now, it's probably Hall or maybe Grayson Rodriguez, who they're obviously really excited about. Uh, you know, they nabbed, uh, they nabbed him early in the draft. Definitely earlier than some of the experts thought. Yeah, um, but you know, if you look at the top level, you'd probably say Diaz, Mountcastle, Hall, Hayes, um, and maybe it's a couple of the other arms like Ortiz. Maybe Harvey is if Harvey is ever able to stay healthy, and uh, obviously Mullins right now. Um, but some of the other low level guys like Aiken, you know, Knight, uh, Griner, uh, those guys might you know end up being bench bench guys or or you know back end starters or, or bullpen guys. Um, and, you know, I, that's what I'd say right now. Yeah, I don't know if this is good. Matt Kremitzer from The Athletic is with us here on the bat round. And I agree, Matt. Like, I, I think that it's the high-end pieces that are missing. And, and they, you know, they've got guys that you look at and say, okay, I think that guy might be able to be a major league contributor. But, you know, the problem is they don't really need they, – what they're, they're missing isn't contributors. What they're missing is is special talents. And they only appear to have a couple of guys that even might be able to be that guy moving forward. Uh, you brought up uh, Dylan Bundy's name a minute ago, and I, I want to talk more about Bundy. You're in an awkward spot with Dylan Bundy because it's, it's sort of reminiscent of the Gosman situation. And we've seen how well Kevin Gosman has pitched in Atlanta. And I don't think anyone is remotely surprised by how, how well Kevin Gosman has pitched in Atlanta. I think most of us, when that deal was made, said, oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. He will go down there and he'll, of course, figure it all right out as soon as he arrives in Atlanta. That's just the way it's going to be. And I, you get the same sense as we talk about Bundy because I think there's going to be plenty of people this offseason going to say, well, do you just follow it up by moving Bundy? Do you say, hey, it, it's just going to be the same thing here. We've been waiting and waiting, and it just hasn't clicked, and it just might not click. But because of the way he's pitched, you'd probably be selling him for pennies on the dollar. You probably couldn't get full value for him because he hasn't pitched well enough. But do you just sort of have to do it and move on? and stop putting yourself through the waiting game with Dylan Bundy or thinking it's going to get any better for him and just take whatever you can get at the end of the season in trying to move Dylan Bundy. Yeah, I don't know if they'll have to do it at the end of the season because he's definitely not finishing the season well. But, you know, maybe by the trade deadline next year, if he gets off to a hot start, uh, teams, teams always need pitching. Um, they might be able to get, you know, hopefully a better package than they got for Gossman, which kind of seemed like a salary dump when you include, a, you know, with O'Day being included. Um, if you had said before the trade deadline at the Orioles to trade a Gossman, and that's what they got back, I don't think a lot of fans would have been very excited. But, you know, if they could get something, you know, a better package than that for Bundy next year, it, it, 
it's exciting to watch him pitch and everything that he's been through when you factor all that in. But if you know to bring in everything into the rebuild, if he gets off to if he gets off to a hot start, then yeah, you have to definitely think about um, if, if you have a chance to get some higher level talent in a deal, then you definitely have to think about it. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's where I'm at, I, and I don't even know. Again, I might be at the point, Matt, where it's like. I just don't think it's gonna get better. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what we're waiting for with Dylan Bundy. At some point, I, I and I know it's 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 difficult to do this, and we're gonna point out what guys have done when they left. But I don't think Kevin Gosman was ever gonna become this guy in Baltimore, and I don't think Jake Arrieta was ever gonna become the guy that he became in Baltimore. And it's 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 tough to say that, but I just feel like with these pitchers in particular, whether it's needing to see a change of scenery, whether it's needing to have the right people around him, and you'd like to think you can get the right people in Baltimore, but I don't know. I just. My gut sort of tells me this is the Dylan Bundy story in Baltimore. As sad as that might be, I just don't know that it's ever going to be better for him, that he's just sort of never going to find the consistency that he might be able to find if he gets away. Yeah, for sure. And at some point, it seems like it gets to this point with almost every one of their promising pitching prospects, whether yeah. it's injuries, just yeah, not living up to the hype. Um, I don't know whether something's broken uh, player development-wise in the minors, whether it just doesn't translate to the major leagues and the communication with the coaching staff. Uh, I'm honestly not, you know, I have, I have no idea what it is. It's obviously a, a bunch of things uh, combined, but just for whatever reason, a lot of these guys can't get over the hump. And when they leave, you know, something clicks, whether it's staying healthy, uh, hearing new voices, just being in a different position. But yeah, like you said, the change of scenery thing, it, at some point it just gets old to hear that over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's very, very tough. Um, somebody that, that you like to see the Orioles call up this September that you think maybe has an opportunity to be more interesting than maybe we have, we have scouted them or graded them so far? Uh, one option is one player they got in the scope deal, uh, Luis Ortiz. I okay. don't think a lot of fans have, have heard a lot about him. Um, he might be close to whatever innings limit the Orioles may be putting on him. I'm not sure if he'd get a start or not. Um, but he's one arm for the back-end rotation uh, next year that he could be an option. It would be nice to see him get a start or two, you know, just to see to see what that would be like. Um, but besides that, I just want to see Cedric Mullins play almost every day. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, a couple of days ago, whether it was the hip or, or Buck Showalter wanting to see Andrioli in center field, um, you know, against left-handed pitching, you know, that that's fine if they want to see a fourth or fifth outfielder play some. But I really want to see if Mullins can be the guy, and he should be playing regularly. Uh, in center field in September to get more bats, whether it's against right and left-handed pitching. Let me ask you about a theory that uh, Stan has been talking about for the last couple of weeks. So um, it's of his belief, and, and I have a differing opinion. As mu- I look, I I love Adam Jones as much, if not more, than anybody else in this town. We all feel the same way about him. He has been almost impossibly perfect as an athlete representing this franchise. He's been a very high-level baseball player, not not a Hall of Famer, but a high-level baseball player that's done everything you could ever imagine as far as somebody who represents the community. It's going to suck to, to move on from Adam Jones. That being said, I, my opinion is when you're doing a rebuild, you don't need to have that type of guy around. Stan's argument is, hey, for his leadership, it's not going to cost you much. If you can bring him back for one or two years to accept the fact that he's maybe not going to be an everyday player anymore and, you know, he could be a guy that can help you sort of preach the Oriole way, if you will, to these young players, there's an argument for it. And I hear that and all, but I just come back to in a rebuild, you just got to go with these young players and figure out what you have. And anybody 
that's taking at bats away from from one of the younger guys that you're trying to figure something out on at all. As much as you like the concept of leadership, you're sort of accepting the fact that you're going to be really horrible a year from now. So I'm I'm on the other side of the equation. Where would you be on the, even the idea, the possibility of trying to bring back Adam Jones for a year or something along those lines? Yeah, if, if there's a one-year possibility as kind of like a bridge type thing with the mentorship, you know, all that stuff factored in, I'd be open to it. Anything more than that, I wouldn't say so. I mean, for all those, all those things you just said are true in terms of what he, what he means to fans, what he, what, he's mean, you know, what he means to the city. But the last thing you really want is him, you know, blocking another player, uh, fans getting mad at him because, you know, he's someone who, who probably needs to play almost every day. He, I don't think he's to the point in his career where he's going to be okay, you know, sitting a majority of the season while someone else plays. I mean, you, you don't really want that to happen. He's, he's not that old. So, uh, you know, if, if they could figure out something for a year that, you know, so he can play right field and, you know, still be next to Mullins in the outfield, that, that doesn't seem so bad. But if you're talking about anything more than a year, um, that just doesn't seem like a great idea. And you, you don't want to block a Hayes, you know, anyone else who might be ready, whether it's Diaz, Hayes, you know, any, anyone else. Yeah, I hear, I don't know, man, even for a year, man, I'm like inclined to say, hey, let the you let your outfield next year be Hayes, Stewart, you know, Mullins, if Diaz is ready. Let it be though that group of guys, and just accept it. Just accept who you are. You know what I mean? Like that. That the best thing that this organization can do is end up having more number one overall picks for for a year or two. As tough as it is to say that, they need more talent. And I I hate saying it this way, but the idea that Adam Jones might help you win three more games next year that actually to me is a bad thing. I don't I don't think that you want that at the front end of a rebuild. Yeah, I, I'd be more inclined to agree if if Diaz and Hayes were were showing a little bit more. This year, you know, in yeah, double yeah, yeah, right. uh, Diaz, Diaz was doing better before he came over to Bowie. So, you know, you, you can't just say, you know, he hasn't done well at Bowie and that's everything. But um, they, they could be options to be on the team next spring. You don't, you don't really know what could happen. Um, but, yeah, yeah, either way, uh, either it's a year or not at all, the young players are going to have to play at some point. All right, one more for you. Would it be smart for the Orioles to keep the raccoon around to sort of create a new mascot for this rebuild process? It's definitely not the worst idea. Yeah. I know I've seen the Twitter account and it's been tweeting like crazy. No so doubt. You know, raccoon's definitely busy. I, you know, it's I've said before. I, as silly as it seems, I think that the Orioles need a like a hash. You know, I think we all bring up what they did in Philadelphia with the Seventy Sixers and trust the process, right? Mm-hmm. As as silly as it seems, I think a hashtag is really important for this rebuild because I don't think that the average fan truly understands how bad it's going to be. On the field, like, I think there's a lot of people that are still like, well, yeah, it can't be this bad again. Like, no, it not only could be this bad again, like, it probably is going to be this bad again for at least another year or two. And I think the Orioles and their branding sort of need to create something that fans can embrace to distract them from how bad it's going to be from wins and losses. So... You know, I, I liked uh, when Adam Jones' uh, tweet was embrace change. I was all for embrace change maybe being, you know, the, the hashtag that the Orioles would go with. But the raccoon something that sort of creates something else for fans, you know, a shiny object for fans to look at because the reality is on the field it ain't going to be good. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I don't know what the hashtag would be. I hope they're not going to lose 115 or whatever games again next year, but I definitely wouldn't rule it out considering what the roster might end up being. No, it's totally plausible. (laughs) It is, unfortunately, just the reality of it. All right, uh, Matt, I know it's at Matt Kremnitzer on Twitter, correct? Yes. And then what do you have coming up at The Athletic? 
Uh, I think I might have something on uh, Trey Mancini for Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, I need to start working on that. But besides that, I'm, I'm not sure long term. Awesome. <laughs> look, uh, out for if, that. look, if you're not a subscriber yet, make sure you're a subscriber. Obviously, Athletics done a ton of, of work in this summer in entrenching themselves in Baltimore with a lot of great writers, uh, including, of course, Dan Connolly, who has been covering the Orioles for forever. So it's worth plucking down just a couple of bucks a month to become a subscriber to The Athletic. Hey, Matt, I'm glad we were finally able to make this work, man. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. We'd love to do it again down the road. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Matt Kremnitzer from The Athletic joining us here on the bat around uh, talking some Orioles this morning. And again, look, I know how silly that sounds, like it's important to create a hashtag, but I've been talking about this. You need to reestablish, as the Orioles, that the next few years can cannot be judged by wins. If if your fandom is going to be based on wins and losses, you're going to be disappointed because there ain't going to be many wins and there's going to be a lot of losses. So what they did so well in Philadelphia with the 76ers was they created this trust the process, right? And they were miserable. They're the worst team in basketball for multiple years. But they got uh, fans to buy into the idea that they were doing it for a reason. Yes, we're terrible, but we're terrible with purpose. And so instead of being obsessed over the fact that, oh, the 76ers lost again last night, it was, yeah, the 76ers lost again last night because you're supposed to be right now. And that's no fun for the guys that are playing, right? The guys that are on the team because they, they're they not trying to lose. Like the Orioles, when they went out and won three games this week against the Blue Jays, it's because, it's a reminder, they're not trying to help the franchise come away with the number one overall pick. Not the guys on the field. They want to establish themselves as baseball players, whether that's in Baltimore or wherever it's going to end up being. But as an organization, it's way better to have the number one overall pick. It just is. It's way better to have high draft picks. It's way better to go through these pains in order to come out on the other side with more talent in your system. So, a hashtag, as dumb and as silly as that sounds to a lot of people, I think is a critical part of getting your fan base to get on board with what it is that's going on here. It's gonna suck. (laughs) This is going to suck. If the way that you judge baseball is by wins and losses. Now, if you can figure out other things that entertain you, like is Cedric Mullins developing? Are you seeing signs that there are players that could be part of this for the future? You're going to have a lot of those opportunities. There's going to be a boatload of young players going to be on the field this year, next year, moving forward. But if ultimately your interest, and for so many people it is, is going to be in wins and losses, I got bad news. I got bad news for you. It ain't going to be pretty. This is going to be really bad. This is going to be Cleveland Browns-like for a couple years. So the idea to me of a hashtag is we are re- we please don't judge us by wins and losses. Judge us by this thing. And I liked Embrace Change. You know, like I had thrown out bird seeding, right? Like, which <laughs> is not really bird seed is for feeding it's not really for growing birds you know what i mean like it's a different thing but it was just something that i I spit out not to say that's what i thought they should use but something like that everything they do when they announce their ticket plans for next year buy a bird seeding ticket plan for next year i suggested they should come up with ticket plans that involve hey you know buy a 13 game plan and you also get tickets to 13 minor league games of your choice next season that would be cool And that's what you're saying. Look, what we're doing 
is not just about wins and losses at the major league level. I, I wrote a whole thing for PressBoxOnline.com. I, I would, if I'm the Orioles, I would try to figure out a way to broadcast some minor league games on Masson next year. Hey, guys, I know this kind of sucks right now at the major league level, but take a look at what's going on. We've got some talent. Because eventually those guys will be right. with the Orioles. And, and we believe that they're going to be the fruits of this process. So Grayson Rodriguez, who Matt Kremnitzer brought up, their number one pick from a year ago, he ends up at, say, Delmarva next season. Well, Delmarva's three hours away. You know what I mean? Like, Orioles fans might get there perhaps, you know, if they live there and they're Orioles fans, or if they are going to the beach or something like that. But for the most part, we're not going out to Salisbury to watch a baseball game on a Tuesday night. Or I guess the Orioles are rarely off on a Tuesday night. But on a night where the Orioles are off, say a Thursday night, and Grayson Rodriguez happens to be pitching for Delmarva, it would be really cool if Masson would go out and broadcast that to say, hey, look, we know it's tough being an Orioles fan right now because of wins and losses. The team's not very good. But this is something that we think you can be excited about. So we want you to see it. I think those are the types of things. I can call it um, the, the bird seeding game of the week. Minor league, the bird seeding minor league game of the week. I think that silly hashtag, and they haven't come up with one yet. I loved when Adam Jones said embrace change uh, after the news came out that he was moving to right field and Cedric Mullins was coming up to play center field. I, a lot of people brought up that might be the one, right? Like that might be the perfect, you know, organically created hashtag for the movement embrace change and i loved it i loved it embrace change embrace it this is we're going in a different direction man had an opportunity from 2012 to 2016 and and it really came crashing down that night in toronto in 2016 when zach Britton got left in the bullpen and ubaldo jimenez yoked the game away um but that's what it was it was a good stretch it was fun but it's over it's over. And unfortunately, that's the way it works in baseball. You get a window, and the Orioles had five years. That's remarkable. They had a five-year window. You know, a lot of teams don't get five-year windows. The Orioles had five years where they were good, and they were fun to watch, and they gave us great memories. And, heck, they were still in it a year ago, right up until August. So it was really five and a half years, close to six. We got that, but that's over. And now they need to create a new window. And the best way to create a new window unless you're the Yankees and you're willing to just spend hundreds of millions of dollars, is to go through something like this. So embrace it. Embrace change. Be excited about it. Because if they do it the right way, this could create a team that could have another five to ten year window in the future. But they got to do it the right way. And part of doing it the right way, unfortunately, is getting rid of everybody. They've already started that process. That's why I... You know, I, with Matt Kremnitzer and talking about Dylan Bundy, I hear you. Like, ideally, Dylan Bundy gets off to a good start next year. You can trade him for a little bit more, but I don't really expect him to. I think this is sort of who Dylan Bundy is. And if he can get you anything, at this point, I'm up for taking anything. Just just gut it, man. And anything that's got value, get rid of it. All has to go. And go with with what's left. And start accepting your fate and moving forward all right um a couple of things people have gotten in my buddy uh, sam angel obviously we've embraced rebuild mode now there can be things to get excited about in the first full year of a rebuild that don't involve wins and losses i won't be as emotionally invested in every game's result like i was from 2012 to 2017 but i will be excited to get a new year started and that's you know sort of what i've alluded to is that 
it doesn't really make sense because they're not going to be better next year than they are right now. But just the nature of it being baseball and baseball is back and the whole thing, I do think at least in April, May next year, I will be tuned in every night and watching the Orioles despite the fact that they're going to be as terrible as they are right now. From Ryan. Ryan gets in and says... Glenn, admittedly, I'm a little bit older, and because of that, I am not really up for a rebuild right now. I don't want to be 70 years old the next time the Orioles are actually any good. Will I tune in next year? Yes, but probably not the game-in, game-out way that I have tuned in for the last couple of years. I will probably check in when something interesting is happening. Also, you have the ability now that if something interesting is happening, you can find out about it on social media or from your from your friends and get to a TV. Yeah, I mean, like if somebody's throwing a no-hitter or something like that, right? Like if you, if for whatever goofy reason, um, you know, I don't even know who it would be, David Hess is throwing six no-hit innings, you're going to start getting alerts on your phone and on social media, hey, get to a TV, you're going to want to watch this. Yeah, sure, that's the case. You're right about that. But, you know, short of that, it's not like you're going to be alerted on your phone, hey, uh, Cedric Mullins has a couple of hits and made a spectacular catch tonight and is worth watching play baseball. Like, they're not going to send you that text alert. You can only get that by watching the games or going to the games or something along those lines. All right, when we come back in, we're going to talk more about um, this weekend, the Orioles and the Royals, the Bobby Witt Jr. Bowl, and our next guest will write about the fact, or has written about the fact that maybe maybe it's not just Bobby Witt Jr. Maybe this is more of a two-horse race to be the number one overall pick, and maybe it doesn't really matter if you don't win the number one overall pick because the number two pick's pretty good, too. Rustin Dodd from The Athletic he covers the Royals. He's going to join us next. This is the Bat Around. Glenn Clark in for Stan and Craig. I'm excited to tell you about one of our newest partners, Loop League. Find them at loopleague.com. What are they all about? Well, this is very cool. You can link together events from across the sports landscape into one comprehensive fantasy pool. So let's just say you're like us. Maybe you're playing a World Cup pool right now. You want to keep that fun going with your friends after the World Cup is over. Maybe you do a football picks pool that you loop together, and that fun continues throughout the course of the year. Start a league today. Invite your friends. Single event leagues are free. Multi-event leagues are just a flat four. 99 fee for the entire league not per person just 499 there's plenty of competitions that loop league has i mentioned the world cup football picks it continues mlb playoffs they'll be doing stuff like that i mean they even do ufc fights but if you've got an idea for something that you want to do you can tell them at loop league on twitter and they'd be willing to consider it they've got 21 events on the platform right now with more coming this is something that was started by local guys it's extremely cool loop league find them at loopleague.com our buddy Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is sweetened the menu with the Summer of Peach, featuring a chili and delicious white peach tea lemonade that combines tea and lemonade with fresh white peaches. Many of us were already mixing tea and lemonade, while Chick-fil-A added the extra twist of an essential summer taste, peach. Visit the official Glen Clark Radio Chick-fil-A store on Campbell Boulevard in Nottingham Square. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army Reserve, it is a core value a value that brings together a variety of people from across the nation to answer the call to serve. Serving part-time in the U.S. Army Reserve means earning the respect of your community and your nation, all while pursuing your career and educational goals and staying close to home. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may qualify to earn up to $20,000 in bonuses when you join. To see if you qualify, visit GoArmy.com reserve or call 1-800-USA-ARMY paid for by the U.S. Army. 
KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. It's Jerry Chevrolet's Labor Day sales event with clearance prices on over 250 new 2018 Chevy models. How about new cruises, Malibus, and Impalas at Jerry's, all up to 25% off MSRP. Jerry's also has huge truck discounts on new Silverados, as much as 21% off. Plus, they all come with Jerry's loyalty benefits, like free maintenance for four years. Visit Jerry's Chevrolet at the corner of Joppa Road and Pairing Parkway, or online at jerrychevrolet.com discounts vary by model prices plus tax tags and freight and september 4th press boxes project game day is back at halftime and post game for every baltimore football game you can react live with us on press boxes facebook page glenn clark hosts at halftime and he's joined by the nfl chick sarita hubbard post game project game day is brought to you by glory days grill catch all of the action at your neighborhood glory days grill where they have tons of tvs to catch every moment of every game glory days grill great food good sports press boxes project game day facebook.com slash press box sports Hey, over the next few weeks in Baltimore City and Baltimore County, you're likely to see local firefighters on the streets using their boots to collect money at red lights. The International Association of Firefighters has been filling their boots with money from motorists for the past 60 years to help the Muscular Dystrophy Association. When you see a firefighter on the street, please help with the annual MDA Fill the Boot campaign. Back in here on the bat around, Glenn Clark with you on a Saturday morning. And the Orioles dropped game one of the uh, three-game series down in Kansas City. The, what we were thought really was the most important series, frankly, the Orioles were playing all year because it was the one that actually seemed to mean something with uh, these teams presumably battling for the number one overall pick. But in reading something that our next guest wrote this week at The Athletic, perhaps not as important to make sure you get the number one overall pick as people thought because the number two overall pick is also pretty good. Joining us now, he covers the Royals for the Athletic. He is Rustin Dodd, and he's with us here on the Bat Around. Rustin, it's uh, Glenn in Baltimore. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Yeah, no problem. Hey, I, So, again, I, I get that, obviously, if you're a general manager, you probably prefer having the choice, and so you probably would prefer having the number one overall pick. But uh, for a lot of us in this town, I mean, the hashtag quit for wit has been trending with fans for weeks and things along those lines. Bobby Witt Jr.'s name has been all that Orioles fans have wanted to talk about. In reading your column, I'm getting the sense that a lot of baseball people say, whoa, 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 Bobby Witt Jr. is good, but he might not even be the best player available in this draft. Yeah, I mean, I, I think w- what's interesting is that, you know, sometimes there are obvious number one picks. Um, you you go to you know Chipper Jones or Alex Rodriguez or Bryce Harper, um, and then maybe there's sometimes there's years where there's three guys in the draft that are considered you know certain talents, and you have the fourth pick. <laughs> um, you know things can change obviously over the next year, but it seems right now that there's kind of a one tier at the top with two names 
and that's Bobby Wade Jr. and Adley Rushman, the uh, catcher from Oregon State, who will be a junior this coming season. Um, so I, I think, I mean, it depends who you talk to on, on you know, which guys, you know, at the top of the draft. Obviously, if you're talking about a college hitter, a catcher, um, there's probably some more certainty there. He's been seen more often. He has a track record against better competition. Um, you know, if you're, if you're trying to find the best long-term high-ceiling talent, you know, it's probably, yeah, you probably would, would be a, a more of a Bobby Witt Jr. fan. Um, but I'm not sure that it is, you know, I, like I, I think it is a discussion to be had about which player will be the number one pick, which if you're drafting second, uh, maybe you don't end up with the guy you like more, but you, you still end up with a, with a pretty good player. Yeah, it's not a bad consolation prize to have at that point. I hear what you're saying. Uh, Rustin, you bring this, and one of the things I think jumps out at me is uh, both these teams appear to be going through significant rebuilds, and while I know that fan bases like to think a rebuild only takes a, a year or two, I think we all are smart enough to know as you look around at the successful rebuilds, it's more like three, maybe even five years to go through a full rebuild, and with that in mind, I wonder if just the nature of Witt being a high school player and being a little bit younger maybe fits the bill better for a team that's going through a full rebuild. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that could be right. I mean, the Royals, when they built their team uh, in you know last decade and then they finally became contenders earlier this decade, they did it with high school players uh, and, and international players, but mostly you know Eric Hosmer, uh, Mike Moustakis, uh, those type of guys, uh, you know, high ceiling high school players. So that's kind of fit their fit their mode. Um, if if you look back, mm-hmm. um, but you know they they drafted five college pitchers in the draft this year. Um, you know, I think you know if you look what the Cubs did too, for instance, um, in, in building their championship team. I mean, they did it with a lot of college hitters, uh, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, um, some of the other guys that they had in that lineup. So I think you can do it both ways, but if you are a team that feels like they're four or five years away from contention anyways, then it, as you said, uh, it definitely doesn't feel like you're, you're drafting a high school player and then waiting for him. It, it sort of aligns with your window to contend. Right, and when you think you're going to be there, and then how many years, if, you can, if that player pans out, the idea that you have that many more years of them at that point. Um, uh, this is always tough, Rustin, because look, the guys that are on the field are not, are not trying to lose, right? But this is a weird thing that because the Orioles is the first time they've ever gone through a rebuild, um, unfortunately for years, they didn't really have a plan, uh, before they ended up being good in 2012. And I don't know what it's like in Kansas city, but do you get the sense that, that these, these organizations think this way that at the top they know in their heart of hearts hey it's better if we're this type of bad because the thing that we need the most is high end talent like the the players we acquire in trades and obviously the royals made some with mistakis and of course the orioles we know what they did that's all well and good but for this thing to really work out you really do need these guys at the top of drafts the guys that you kind of can't miss on in order to pan out for sure. I mean, it's interesting from from at least from a Kansas City perspective on this because uh, Dayton Moore, who's been their general manager for over a decade, built their World Series team, still in charge, obviously, um, and he's the last guy who's going to say, "Hey, you know, you know, we're we're not 
trying to win. Right. We're tanking. He's right. never going to use those words, right? He's just not going to do it. In fact, he's saying, hey, we, we want to win as many games as possible. You know, on the other hand, you know, if you just look at some of the moves they've made in terms of, you know, they, they have, um, you know, a reliever in their bullpen, Brandon Maurer. You know, this is one example, but there's many like this. But he has an ERA of, you know, above seven or eight. Uh, he also has one year of club control left and, and pretty good stuff and a little bit of talent. And so they keep running him back out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's not been really productive at all. He's probably cost them, you know, four or five wins uh, this season. But that's the kind of thing you can do. And I think, like you said, these teams know that the only way to get high ceiling, you know, you know, superstar, you know, playoff contending talent is to draft high in the draft. I mean, you can go out in the free agent market, but that not only is it a little bit uncertain and is expensive, but it's maybe been proven to not really work. Right. Um, but yeah, that's the only way you can do it is the draft, and they know this, and so it is a little bit of of a catch twenty two because. I honestly believe that the Royals, when they say it, that they're being sincere, that, hey, we're, we're not trying to pick number one. That's not our goal. Right. Um, but it, it so far has, has worked out for them. And, and honestly, that's, it's, it's, it's better, <laughs> better that way. I mean, you know, I, I, you think of a, about a team like the Rays and what they've done this season and the, the kind of the praise that they've gotten for being competitive and without a really true starting rotation and some of the innovative stuff they've done, all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, they're going to finish 500. Right. They're going to draft in the middle of the draft. Is that, is that really more of a productive season than, um, than what the Orioles will, will finish when they get you know, the number one pick? So I, I, I can definitely see the value in being bad is, is, is pretty high. Rustin Dodd covers the Royals for the Athletic. He's with us here on the bat around. What you're talking about is it's it's so difficult because, again, it's not something you can get teams to speak about on the record. And when I bring it up, I even sometimes sort of get you know polite nudges from the team like, hey, we're not trying to lose. And I get it. I don't think for a second that Buck Showalter wanted his record to go under 500 for his career this season because the Orioles have been so staggeringly bad. I don't think for a second that they're trying to lose, but I do think they're realistic enough to know you're probably better off if you do. And I think that most of us that that are around sports and even sports fans are coming around to the idea that if you're not going to be competitive, there is nothing good about being 500, that nothing good comes from that, that the best thing you can be if you're not going to be competing for championships, unfortunately, is to be really bad because it sets you up to get more talent. And that's just the way that it is. Let me move on to, to something with you, uh, with the Royals. And and obviously everybody's talked about the fact that how crazy is this? We're only four years removed from the Orioles and Royals being in the ALCS. And, and now they're at this point. Uh, we know in Baltimore how it got to this point and the decisions that weren't made, things that they should have done, when they should have tried to trade certain players, should they have gone all in. So we know what happened here, but but what's the story of exactly how it happened in Kansas City that they went from World Series winner to being in this situation? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two or three factors. Some of them are just natural things that happen to a baseball team. Uh, you get older, all those sort of things. I mean, they won the World Series in, in 2015 with a core of players that were kind of just ascending into their prime. Um, and for the next two seasons, and when I say that, they were kind of getting into their prime, but a lot of those guys were getting near free agency. So at that point, they really could have maybe started breaking the team up a little bit and sort of trying to rebuild on the fly. Uh, and, and, and it probably would have been a, you know, a, shorter, a shorter turnaround time in terms of rebuilding the roster into where, where it could contend again. But they just won the World Series, so they kind of just 
doubled down and went yeah. forward in 2016 and 2017. It didn't quite work. Um, and then, you know, their players left, and then they got older, and, and that's the natural things that could happen. The other part that is in their control, and the reason it's as bad as it is in terms of, you know, 50 games under 500, is that they just they had about four or five years in a row in the draft where they just weren't very productive, and they didn't hmm. they missed on their first-round picks. And for a small market team, I mean, that's kind of the pipeline where you're getting your difference-making talent, and they, they just had a really bad run. And so, so you, you add... You had a bad run in the draft with, you know, a core getting older and getting to free agency, and it's kind of where they are right now. It actually sounds remarkably similar to the Orioles' story when you when you play it out like that, Rustin. Like, the Orioles had opportunities and maybe should have looked at 2014 as the time to do it, right? Like, maybe we should have moved Machado then and gotten the world for him instead of taking the pennies. It seems like they're two organizations that ended up making some pretty similar decisions, with the only difference being the Royals have a World Series title to show for it, whereas the Orioles have Zach Britton still sitting in the bullpen in Toronto in 2016 to show for it, which is a little bit different. Um, uh, just, just one more, and I appreciate the time. I, to me, this is the nature of this is as difficult as it is for Royals and Orioles fans. I do think, in a way, it's a cool story about parody in baseball and something that at the beginning of this this century we thought didn't exist, which is it, it, you can point to this as it, it is kind of working. Like the, the, what baseball wanted, they wanted more teams to be involved. We can see a scenario where teams can go within four years from being so bad to so good or so good to so bad. Like it's not a guarantee year in and year out that it's going to be the same teams. And as difficult as it is to deal with this, if you're a fan of the Orioles or the Royals, I think from a baseball perspective, it's a good thing that so many teams can be so good and so bad in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I, compared to what it was in the 90s, it, it does feel like there is uh, so much more hope for a, a, a market like Kansas City uh, to turn it over and be good again like really quickly. I, I actually think I kind of have a take on this about not only have they done, changed the game a little bit with revenue sharing and, and all those sort of things, and that, that's helped small market teams, but I honestly think that steroid testing and <laughs> the way that they've cleaned up the games has actually helped with parity because teams can't go out and sign free agents who are productive from age, you know, 30 to 35. Like Interesting. They when those guys were using PEDs and staying productive well into their thirties. And so it's made it so that the, the peak years for a baseball player are 25 to 28, you know, right in that kind of like traditional peak. And sometimes guys even are getting better younger. They're, they're good in their early twenties, like Manny Machado was, you know? So, Teams can go out into the draft, and there's kind of a natural, you know, cycle for teams and their cores. And some teams are smarter than others, but like if you're the Royals, you can say, okay, look at the Indians right now, or look at some of the other teams in our division. Even the teams on top, you know, they're going to get older. Their teams, you know, they're going to players are going to go to free agency, so there'll be kind of a window for us to contend. And I know that's more difficult for Baltimore because you have the Yankees and the Red Sox. And yeah. That adds its own challenges. But those teams are going to get old again. I mean, the, the Yankees got old. They got kind of, you know, were not smart with, with the way they did things for a while. So it does feel like there's just a little bit more hope in terms of free agency is not kind of the, the cure-all for rich teams like it once was and that – Youth is is a is a huge asset, and so if you if you're smart about drafting and developing, you can 
you can put together a pretty good team. Yeah, and on the flip side, if you give $160 million to Chris Davis, yeah, you might be in trouble. <laughs> that just might be the that case. Is, that is true. That is very yeah, true. Yeah, no doubt about that. That's a really interesting take, and I, and I hadn't thought about that, Rustin. That's good stuff, man. At Rustin Dodd on Twitter is how you follow him, uh, and make sure you're subscribing to The Athletic because they've got great coverage of the Orioles and of the Royals and of every team in baseball. I actually read your, your story about Carter Hope the other day, Rustin. It was really a fascinating story. I mean, like a really really unbelievable story about someone who has uh, gone a certain way in their life, and it's something that I encourage everybody to take a look at. Rustin, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time for us this morning, man. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks a lot. Rustin Dodd covers the Royals for the Athletic as the Orioles and Royals battle it out this weekend. And again, his story, and um, I'll try to get linked up on my Twitter account, uh, is about the fact that a lot of baseball people don't necessarily think that Bobby Witt Jr. is the best player. There are plenty of baseball player that uh, baseball people that think that Adley Rutschman, the catcher from Oregon State, is even a better option than Bobby Witt Jr. Now, I still come back to, if you're the Orioles, give me the high school player with, with all of the talent. And we're going to talk more about Bobby Witt Jr. and, and exactly what the talent is in a second is uh, Burt Granger, who works for 2080 Scouting, is going to join us here shortly. But give me that guy. Give me the guy with all the tools and is a little bit younger because in my rebuild mode, I think that's going to fit more with where I'm ultimately going to end up being and what I want to accomplish. So give me that guy um, in this process. That's the guy that I want. But, you know, again, if you end up not getting the number one overall pick, and the Orioles are in good shape at the moment, but, you know, they win the next couple of games in this series. We see how it goes. The word is you're not going to be angry if you end up with the number two pick. The number two pick is pretty good in this year's draft as well uh, with the Oregon State catcher Adley Rutschman. And maybe it ends up being Rutschman who goes number one. Maybe the Royals, you know, they're thinking, hey, we want our guy. We've had Salvador Perez. He's been um, sort of the anchor of this era of Royals baseball. And if we can get a catcher to be that guy moving forward, we might prefer Rutschman with the number one pick. And maybe the Orioles can still come away with Bobby Witt Jr. at number two. Who knows? Um, but uh, appreciate the conversation with Rustin Dodd. And not thought about that. It's a, it's a hot take. I mean, it's the, the thought that, that steroid testing has been what's ultimately created parity in baseball. Interesting. But I hear what he's saying, which is in the past, if you were a team that had money, you could just throw millions upon millions of dollars at every slugger that became available and assume that they're going to be able to continue to hit you know, 50 home runs a year until they were 40 years old. And now because steroids are not, let's not pretend like they're out of the game because we all know that's not really the case. But because it's much more difficult to just get away with using steroids, um, you just can't do the same thing. You can't just say, hey, here's a billion dollars, hit home runs until you're 50. It doesn't work out that way. Players do not continue to be the same types of power hitters that they were past their 35th birthday. So interesting interesting take from uh, Rustin Dodd about how that has impacted parity in the game of baseball. Today's show... Uh, is also brought to you by Glory Days and Pressbox's Project Game Day. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back. Halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. I'm your host at halftime, and then I'm joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard. Postgame Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day, facebook.com slash pressboxsports. 
And we will kick that off, of course, next Sunday uh, as the Ravens take on the Bills. We will be with you for Project Game Day. Looking forward to that. Still to come today, uh, we are going to listen in a conversation that I had earlier this week with Chris Lee. Fascinating story of Chris Lee was, uh, for years, the top pitching prospect in the Orioles system, and then just wasn't. Um, ineffectiveness, injury, the whole thing. And now he has been moved to the bullpen. He was cast aside, first of all. The Orioles removed him from the 40-man roster and just sort of gave up on him, frankly, and said, if anybody else wants him, you could have him. And everybody else said, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> like, we, we've seen it. We're, we're good here. And they said, all right, well, I guess he'll hang around and we'll give him something to do. And they suck him out of the bullpen. And the goofy thing is he's pitched really well in the bullpen and might be recreating himself there for a possibility to end up panning out anyway as he's now at the age of 26. So had an interesting conversation with Chris Lee, and we will get that to you before we get out of here. Also, when we come back in, as I mentioned, Burke Granger is going to join us, and he is a scout with 2080 Scouting, and he's going to give us more of a detailed report about Bobby Witt Jr., the player that we believe is the prize for this weekend series between the Orioles and the Royals. Again, after the uh, Orioles lost last night, they are now four games in back, but considering we're racing for the number one pick, I guess, ahead of the Royals in the loss column, it's three and a half games overall. That's the difference between the two teams. The Orioles are 40 and 95. The Royals 43 and 91. So there's some distance at the moment. If the Orioles continue to lose, particularly this weekend, they would be on track to get that number one overall pick and potentially get Bobby Witt Jr. So we will talk more about who that guy is. Is he truly the all-world talent? Is he the Chipper Jones, Alex Rodriguez, Bryce Harper type of number one overall pick that can't miss? Burt Granger from 2080 Scouting will join us next to answer that very question. It is a Saturday morning. This is the Bat Around. I'm Glenn Clark in for Stan and Craig. Happy Labor Day weekend. We will be right back. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual college football preview edition, in which we offer thorough previews of the season for all of the FBS, FCS, and Division III programs in the state. Additionally, the edition includes a preview of the high school football season for the region as well. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious beat-ups before you got to get back to the office. 
Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Orioles podcast around. Look forward to listening every week. These guys are coconuts, and if that's not enough reason to listen, they are a great listener if you want Orioles talk, even during the offseason. If you're lucky, they might even talk about the Ravens. Josh, Matt, and Bert are a must-listen every week. Check Section 336 out for yourself on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm excited to tell you about one of our newest partners, Loop League. Find them at loopleague.com. What are they all about? Well, this is very cool. You can link together events from across the sports landscape into one comprehensive fantasy pool. So let's just say you're like us. Maybe you're playing a World Cup pool right now. You want to keep that fun going with your friends after the World Cup is over. Maybe you do a football picks pool that you loop together and that fun continues throughout the course of the year. Start a league today. Invite your friends. Single event leagues are free. Multi-event leagues are just a flat $4.99 fee for the entire league. Not per person, just $4.99. There's plenty of competitions that Loop League has. I mentioned the World Cup football picks. It continues MLB playoffs. They'll be doing stuff like that. I mean, they even do UFC fights, but if you've got an idea for something that you want to do, you can tell them at Loop League on Twitter, and they'd be willing to consider it. They've got 21 events on the platform right now with more coming. This is something that was started by local guys. It's extremely cool. Loop League. Find them at loopleague.com. This is former Terp AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Back in here on the bat around, Glenn Clark with you as college football season gets officially underway today. I know it's been underway. Technically, there were some games being played elsewhere in the past week, but locally, Towson Morgan tonight Navy, Hawaii, very late tonight in Maryland, Texas, coming up in just a bit. And if you haven't picked up Press Box's College Football Preview Edition, it is available right now on your neighborhood newsstand for free. You can get it at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations where you can find Press Box throughout the region. Also, PressBoxOnline.com, thorough previews of all of the regions, FBS, FCS, and Division Three college football teams in this month's College Football Preview Edition of Press Box. So the Orioles and the Royals continue to battle it out for the number one overall pick this weekend, and presumably... The number one overall pick, most people believe, is going to be Bobby Witt Jr., the um, high school shortstop from Texas, the son of the former pitcher. There are some people that think that maybe Adley Rutschman, the catcher from Oregon State, we are just talking about that in the last segment, could end up being the number one pick overall. So what do we need to know 
about the guy that might well go number one overall in the prize of losing the, or the historic number of games that the Orioles and Royals have lost this season. Well, let's chat about that more right now with Burke Granger from 2080 Baseball, 2080baseball.com. Burke joins us here on the Bat Around. Burke, it's Glenn in Baltimore. Good morning, man. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us. Hey, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. So I have seen your scouting report. I know that you have done your homework on Bobby Witt Jr. So let me present the question this way. Is Bobby Witt Jr. the type of talent that could be thought of a la some other number one picks of the past, the Bryce Harpers of the world, the Chipper Jones of the world? Is he that type of talent that is that surefire can't miss with the number one overall pick? So, so for me, I mean, regardless of whether or not Bobby Witt is the best player in the draft, and I, I think it's probably too early to tell with being nine months out, he definitely has the most name recognition in this draft, especially among fans in the prospecting community. Um, I wouldn't put him on the level of where where Bryce Harper was at this point in the process, or okay. a guy like Steven Strasburg, but, um, but because he's the son of a big leaguer, he's been on the national stage, for a while and, and played in the showcase circuit with the 2018 guys last summer. I, I think that's a common, a common perception is that, that he's that type of guy. Okay. So tell me more about him as a base. All we hear about is he's got all sorts of power. He's blazing fast. That all sounds really, really good to me. Why wouldn't he be considered maybe that type of player then? So, it is easy to see why scouts and then those in the industry love him so much. But, you know, when you watch him show, show perform at a showcase or an all-star game environment where he's taken infield, he has smooth action, soft hands, quick exchange, uh, above average or better arm. He's a plus runner. Um, he's got power to all fields. So he checks all those, the boxes in that, that respect. So, even even without the name recognition, if he were to show up at an open tryout, for example, mm-hmm. he's going to check those boxes uh, from a workout perspective. He's been clocked at six four in the sixty, which is like a seventy run time on the twenty eighty scale, right? Uh, and it's been consistent with his his runs from home to first. That said, he, he's just not a finished product, and that's not okay. a knock on him because he's entering his senior year in high school. Um, what I've seen and what some evaluators have seen is he swings through a lot of hittable pitches at, at these events. Um, but that said, he, he handles himself like a pro, and that's, I think, uh, his dad. Uh, and being around, growing up around the game has, has taught him. He doesn't take bad at-bats into the field with him. He's a leader on the diamond. Uh, he makes adjustments both offensively and defensively. So, so just because I'm not ready to kind of crown him as the top guy in the class, he's definitely a top, a top half of the first-round talent that I've seen. What I just want to see is make make more consistent hard contact early next spring uh, to kind of um, have those results match up with with the pedigree. Um, because he's been on the stage for so long, he's been under the microscope to a degree. So there's been a lot of opportunities no for people to evaluate him and, and pick apart his game. And I'm not not trying to do that. Those are just I just want to see him make more consistent contact on those balls that get too much of the plate before I'm calling him the top guy in this I, I, I certainly understand everything you're talking about, Burke. Let, let me ask you position-wise. 
So the Orioles obviously drafted a, a shortstop in Manny Machado that may or may not be a shortstop. He's definitely a damn good third baseman. Um, they drafted a guy in Ryan Mountcastle that they tried to make a shortstop and is definitely not a shortstop and might not even right. be a third baseman. Um, is Bobby Witt Jr. definitely a shortstop? Is he a guy that's going to be able to handle this throughout wherever he ends up playing? What I see is I think he's more than likely able to stick at shortstop in that he's got the first step quickness, he's got the lateral movement, he, he ranges well to either side. He can, he's got enough arm to make the throws in the hole. But, but because he can do all those things, he does have that uh, versatility that he could play third or be like an offensive-minded second baseman down the line. Okay. Um, but certainly when you're drafting a guy that high who can stick it at short, that's where I would expect him to start out and spend the first few years of his professional career. Right, and makes him all the more valuable. No question about that. He is Burt Granger from 2080 Baseball. He's with us here on the bat around on Saturday morning. Uh, Burke, so the conversation right now appears to be about he and Adley Rutschman, the catcher from Oregon State. Um, I was just talking to Rustin Dodd, who covers the Royals for the Athletic, and he said, look, I- I've talked to a lot of baseball people that tell me they like Rutschman better than they like Wit, and that, that the one and two are both pretty good um, it seems to be a consensus who the one and two are, and they're both really good options. Um, what do you like about Rutschman? I, to me, I think the reason in Baltimore we're all talking about Witt is because the reality of, of being in the first year of a rebuild situation is that the high school player might just sort of sit better um, with what your ultimate timing is. But what do you see in right. Rutschman, and, and do you think that there's a chance that maybe he is overall the better prospect of the two? Yeah, so barring an injury or something unforeseen in the fall, Rutschman will likely enter the season as our top collegiate player um, at 2080 Baseball and potentially the top player overall. Okay. Like if you had a gun to my head right now, which which you don't. Right, um, and I don't know why I ever would, and I hope that's never right. going to be the case, but I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would probably take Rutschman over Wit right now, but you know, all, all disclaimers applying that, that we're still nine months out from the draft. Um you know, as a sophomore, Rutschman pretty much did it all. He hit 408, leading Oregon State to a national championship, and then earned most outstanding players honors at the Collegiate World at the College World Series. Um, then went on to play for the Collegiate National Team, and even though he missed like half their games because of that deep run in the College World Series, still led that team in extra base hits and in, in batting average. And historically, good performances on that circuit in wood bats against international competition as an amateur has translated well into success at the professional level once they get drafted and get their career started. Um, Rutschman just, uh, you're talking about checking the boxes with Witt, like Rutschman does that as a catcher. He, he's athletic behind the plate. He's a, a big guy with a sturdy frame, but he moves pretty well. Um, he's a, he was a two-sport guy um, at Oregon State, also as a kicker, kicked a, a 63-yard field goal in high school. Um, He's given up football, which is a smart decision because I think he's potentially like a $5 million bonus guy next year as a top five pick. So right. a, a lot of times college catchers at this point, when they're 20, 21 years old, evaluators are quick to label them either a glove-first catcher or, or a bat-first guy who might not be able to stick behind the plate. Rutschman does pretty well on both sides of the ball. He's, he's a quiet receiver. Uh, he's got a strong, accurate arm, handles the pitching staff well. He's a leader. And then offensively, he's a switch hitter with power to all fields from both sides. 
who controls the strike zone really well, uh, controls the barrel within the zone. So really just everything you're looking for in a catcher and, and guys like Rutschman and Witt too that, that can stick up the middle defensively are a premium in the draft. And you, you see those guys come off the board um, earlier, sometimes earlier than their value, although the value of these two guys is, is high uh, regardless of the defense position. Is there, boy, is there a player not named Bobby Witt or Adley Rutschman whose performance over the course of we're still, as you bring up, we are still nine months away. There is an eternity right. and an entire season ahead of us. Is there another player that you feel like could still put their name in this equation between now and then, or are these guys, because of their talent, are truly separating themselves as the top two? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you three more names. So two at two at the high school level, and then one at the at the college level. Um, so the the top high school arm right now is looking like Daniel Espino, a guy who was born in, in Panama, now lives in the United States. Okay. Goes to Georgia Premier Academy, so he's a high school pitcher who's topped out at 99 this summer. So, a special Hunter Green type arm in terms of, of the the type of velocity that he he can command. And and at this point in the process, I like the breaking stuff better than I like Hunter Green stuff. So, hmm. um, a guy a guy that really I could see as a potential one one type type guy, barring you know depending on how the spring plays out. Wow. Another guy is another short, another high school shortstop, C.J. Abrams, another uh, high school guy out of, out of Georgia. Um, he's less less of a lock to stick at shortstop than than a guy like Bobby Witt, but a guy who I could see profiling really well in center field, a left-handed hitter, flies around the bases, makes consistent hard contact. Um, and then another pitcher, uh, a left-handed pitcher, a big left-handed pitcher from Duke at the collegiate level, uh, Graham Stenson, who. Uh, she showed really well at the at the collegiate national team as well. A fastball slider guy, big six five, two hundred and forty pound lefty who can has easy like mid nineties velocity and then a, a really power slider that's like a seventy breaking ball that Wow. That, he was a reliever last year. I think he'll transition to the rotation this year, so his value is gonna depend on, on how that transition goes and if he can develop a third pitch to, to prove to professional teams that he's a kind of a front-of-the-rotation type starting. So what you're saying is the many quit-for-wit hashtags that we've been sharing in Baltimore for the next couple or the last uh, month or so might be completely irrelevant by the time we get to the draft. Uh, I would be tweeting, play badly for Adley right now, if I were you guys. <laughs> and, and I like that, too. I don't have any yeah, hashtags for the other guys. Yeah, right. Well, what, okay, what do you make of the, the thought process? And we've talked about this, but only in the context of Witt and Rutschman so far. One of the things that I've said is, look, I think the Orioles, you know, particularly their rebuild is probably more of a five-year plan than it is a two- or three-year type of turnaround just because of the lack of a high-level talent that they currently have in the organization and how much of that they need to acquire. And so I've said, because of that, if it's close, I would probably prefer the high schooler just because of the time frame and trying to get it to match up with, you know, when you're going to be able to compete again. What do you make of that that part of this that maybe ultimately if these players are sort of at the same level, that it would be better to go with the high school talent because of the time frame for a rebuild? No, yeah, I think, you're, I think your point is definitely a valid one. And if you, I think the first thing you would do if you're in a draft room or in a front office is you're lining these guys up based on talent. And if that talent is so similar, 
you would probably give the edge to a high school guy for that scenario if you have a five-year plan instead of a three-year plan. Right. So I totally see, I totally see the validity and, and the value in doing it like that way. Um, is there a guy? Is we're chatting with Burke Ranger from Twenty Eighty Baseball, who's with us here on the Bat Around. Is there a guy currently in the Orioles system that that you would look at and say, "Hey, look, I know that maybe some other people don't love that guy quite as much, and and the Orioles just don't have. They've got like Yusniel Diaz now, who they got from Dodgers, and yeah, they certainly still have Ryan Mountcastle's bat, but we don't know if if he can defend anywhere. But is there a guy that? that maybe you look at and say, hey, this guy has not gotten a ton of love from a lot of people, but I'm telling you what I've the work that I've done on him and looking at him, I actually think maybe a little bit higher on this guy than other people do. So I, I don't do a ton of work with the minor league level. We have right. a, a minor league side of the house that does a lot of the evaluation, but, but I'll just point out one guy that I liked in college, okay. um, despite some of the flaws that I don't think has, you know, it might not have, have translated as well at the minor league level for them that I, that I hope he can turn it around. That's DJ Stewart from, okay. from Florida state, yep. you know, a big kind of a bad body guy. Um, but, but the type of hitter that I saw at Florida state is a guy who was able to make those in-game adjustments, um, kind of use the whole field things that I like to see as, as a college hitter that typically do translate well into the, into the minor leagues. I just, I, I haven't I haven't checked in to see what's going on with him and, and how he's performing. Though. Yeah, he's been sort of yeah, he's been decent at every level, right? Like he hasn't really blown yeah. anybody away at any level yet. But he's never had a a clunker of a season that made you say, "Oh, it, this isn't going to work out." And again, you bring up the the body's not good, but yet he's got great speed on the base paths. It's the weirdest thing right. where like he does not look the part. But boy, is he a real stolen base threat, and he's been a stolen base threat everywhere he's been, which just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Right. Um, it, did you like uh, uh, Grayson Rodriguez, Caden Grenier, Blaine Knight, the guys the Orioles took in the early rounds? What did you think of those guys this year? Yeah, I mean, Grayson Rodriguez, I mean, at this point last year, he wasn't on hardly anyone's radar. Like, he was he was a 90-94 to 94 guy on the showcase circuit and then comes out in the spring throw in 97. That's, and that's kind of perfect microcosm for the disclaimer of we're still nine months out and a lot can happen. Uh, but yeah, a big, big bodied, sturdy guy who, who I can see as a guy who can eat a lot of innings if he, if he sticks in the rotation or it could be kind of a dynamite um, back end guy with, with that, that fastball. Uh, Grayson Grenier. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of what I saw in college. You know, he, he we talk about glove first or bat first. You're quick to pigeonhole him as a, kind of glove first shortstop. I mean, on, on most college teams, um, Nick Madrigal would have been good enough to stick at shortstop, but, but King uh, Grenier pushed him over to second base. Um, a, a guy who uh, I like him a lot from a defense perspective. The, offensively, he, he didn't do it for me because um, I think he needs to make some adjustments. On each swing, is his back foot, back foot was lifted off the ground. And now okay. Frank Thomas did the same thing. Um, but well, when, you, you know, when you're six seven and two yeah. two sixty, you can do that and still drive the ball out of the ballpark. Right. Grenier is kind of a light hitting middle infielder. Um, Blaine Knight is a guy I like a lot. I, I think that's that's good value for their their third pick and getting a guy who who I think we put a first round grade on him. So um, I think I think it was a good draft overall for the Orioles. Um, uh, better so certainly than what we've seen over the past couple of years. Yeah, unfortunately that bar is not particularly high that True. you're measuring them by. 
All right, uh, uh, Burke, I, for people, and I've, I've fallen in love with 2080 Baseball, but for people that don't know about it and what it is that you guys do, can you just give the, the, the quick ticket sell of why it is that everybody should be checking out 2080Baseball.com? Sure. So we, we have evaluators all over all over the country, and we get to a lot of games. We, we place a premium on getting to the ballpark, getting firsthand accounts, um, scouting reports and video, and then we load that on. I, th- I think our website, in terms of having searchable uh, a databases for both scouting reports and for video, is, is better than anything out there right now. And, and you know, before I started doing this, I was a, a, a fan of prospects, and I was always looking for content like this. So I'm happy to be providing that. So yeah. on on the pro side, the minor league side, we have over a thousand videos of minor league players just from this season that our evaluators have collected. And we're only talking about four or five guys who are traveling the country and doing this. And then on the amateur side, it's really just me and, and two, one or two other guys that have compiled video and scouting reports. And I think before last year's draft, we had close to 500 videos that are searchable by state, by level, meaning uh, four-year college, two-year college, or high school. And then for this year's draft, I think we're over 100 videos already, and we'll, we'll get that up to, to five, 600 by June. It's, it's incredible. It's an unbelievable resource, man. And it's, uh, you know, when we're admired in a season like we've been admired in here in Baltimore, it has been really important because all we can do is look forward to what might be coming. That's just unfortunately right. the way that it is. At Burke Granger on Twitter is how you follow him. And again, 2080baseball.com. Check it out as well at 2080ball on Twitter. Hey, Burke, really appreciate the conversation this morning, man. Thank you for taking the time for us. We'd love to do this again. Anytime, man. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Burt Granger from uh, 2080 Baseball joining us here on the Bat Around. So, uh, interesting that now not only did Rustin Dodd warn us, hey, a lot of baseball people are telling me that might be Rutschman more than Bobby Witt. Burt Granger follows that up by saying, hey, those of you that are hashtagging quit for Witt, maybe change that hashtag to play badly for Adley. And he sort of follows up and says, look, I think right now, Adley Rutschman would be our number one guy. So for as much conversation as we've had about Bobby Witt Jr. and still warranted, it's not like anybody said that they don't think Bobby Witt Jr. isn't really good. Interesting that you're hearing more and more of people that say, hey, number one overall pick, that's that's actually a different guy. That's Rutschman. That's not Witt. And so that will be an interesting thing to follow if the Orioles do indeed end up getting the number one overall pick in the draft as uh, we are seeing just more and more folks that say it's not quite the slam dunk that you think it is, that the guy is going to be Bobby Witt Jr. It could be the catcher from Oregon State instead as being the best option in the draft. Long time to go. It's just a conversation that's interesting right now because of the Orioles playing the Royals. It's certainly more interesting than anything that's happening on the field when it comes to the Baltimore Orioles because that ain't great. But they will continue to duke it out over the course of the weekend. And uh, we will expect to see more and more players getting called up in the coming days as uh, rosters can now expand. Um, and, and, and presumably, most of the guys that are going to get called up, they'll wait until their seasons are over in the minor leagues before that happens. But, like, for example, the, the Bay Sox season, I think, ends this week. So, like, we could only be – let me double-check on that so I'm not saying something out of turn. I think this is their last home series of the season for the Bowie Bay Sox this weekend. And then I think after that, it's um, 
Maybe this is just it. Yeah, actually, Monday's their last day. Season ends on Monday. So, it could mean that Austin Hayes could be here quickly, right? Like, Austin Hayes, perhaps later on in the week, could be up with the Orioles and a couple of other guys. Uh, I'd have to look at when Norfolk season ends. Maybe I should have had this stuff. This is, this is called preparation. Uh, uh, Brittany, let this be a lesson in broadcasting. Is This is when somebody's really well prepared to tackle the topics of the day. Is They, they say, listen to me, Google, now live on the air, which is what I'm doing. Uh, Norfolk ends on Monday as well. So I would have to look at whether or not either of those teams had playoff opportunities. But it could be very quickly. It could be that by Tuesday you're starting to see Maybe the DJ Stewart's of the world, as I mentioned, Austin Hayes, some guys like that getting the opportunity to get called up uh, and here before the end of the season. As I look really quickly at who's on, you got to remember who's on the 40-man roster that are even like options for the Orioles to call up in the next few days. Uh, I mentioned a couple of them, obviously, but you know, and they could still make some moves to get other guys on the 40-man roster. That is clearly something that you can do. But, um, for example, show me the 40-man roster, not the active roster. Thank you. Um, for example, oh, it's still not doing it. All right, well, this has been no help at all. So I've got nothing. I've just got nothing. Just just shooting my... I, I said, listen to me, Google, and I couldn't even Google, right? You mean the internet did not help It you? really let me down. Oh, I gotta be honest with you, Brittany. It really let me down as I was trying to do some live Googling right here on the show. All right, I think I finally have some of the answers of guys that are options um yeah oh anthony santander would be an option dj stewart is actually not on the 40-man roster i did not realize that so they would have to make a move in order to get him on the 40-man roster and maybe leans more to the idea that that will not happen this season they'll probably try to wait and do that in the off season anthony santander however would be an option we of course saw santander at the beginning of the year uh wildly uh, not not prepared uh, when he was a Rule 5 guy that had to be on the roster, that didn't go so well. Steve Wilkerson, almost no doubt we'll see Steve Wilkerson. Bravik Valera, Engel Vima, sure. You know, Chance Sisko will probably get a look back up here, almost no doubt about that. Hunter Harvey would be an interesting one. Would they do that? Don't don't know, but wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. Cody Carroll, Evan Phillips almost certainly will be back. Almost no doubt about those. All right, uh, so that's that. We're going to wrap today's show. By listening in, as I promised, that interview that I did earlier in the week with Chris Lee. Uh, before we do that, I want to thank everybody who made the show possible. Brittany, thank you for your very hard work. No problem. Thanks um, for filling in. Yeah, had fun. Had fun. Always enjoy doing the. It's good for me to talk some baseball. Is it's just unfortunately at this time of the year, it seems to be football, football, football on my show. So I'm happy to talk some baseball and uh, and really enjoyed the conversation. Um, thanks to our, uh, our sponsors and our partners. Stan and Craig will be back next week with you on the Bat Around. I will be back with you on Tuesday for Glenn Clark Radio. We'll be off Monday for the holiday. But Tuesday, 10 a.m. to noon, again, pressboxonline.com slash radio and facebook.com slash pressboxsports. And don't forget, tomorrow morning for the Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Ken Zalis, Sarita Hubbard, and Kyle Ottenheimer. Same locations tomorrow. And then Stan, uh, by the magic of uh, tape delay, will be with you at 10.30 a.m. tomorrow morning on ABC2 for Inside Press Box as well. So as we wrap up today's show, we share with you from Glenn Clark Radio this week, uh, myself and Kyle Ottenheimer had the opportunity to chat with Chris Lee of the Bowie Bay Sox, whose story is really fascinating from top prospect to completely forgotten about and cast aside to now 
carving his way back to having a chance to reach the majors, perhaps as a reliever who's had some real success out of the bullpen for the Bowie Bay Sox this season. So we'll take a listen to that as we wrap up this week's edition of the Bat Around. Chris, it's Glenn and Kyle in Baltimore. It's good to catch up with you again, man. Thank you for taking some time for us. Uh, no problem. Hey, Chris, if you could, could you put into words what the last couple of years have been like for you and all of the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations that you've kind of been through as you've been trying to make your way through this system? Um, it's been kind of eye-opening for me. Um, definitely humbled me and let me know you never guaranteed anything or owed anything in a game. And you guys just got to keep working hard. But transitioning from started to into the bullpen definitely has been a road of success, I, I feel. Yeah. And I'm just going to keep continuing to play that role and do whatever I can do to help contribute to get up there. No doubt about that. Hey, Chris, you know, I, I think we talk about going from a couple of years ago where it looked like you were on the fast track to, to being here in Baltimore and being a big part of the equation. Um, is there part of you that looks back on that and says, man, I might have needed this. I might have needed to go through something like this, a, you know, a humbling, whatever you want to call it, in order to truly better prepare myself. Do you feel like maybe having gone through some of this stuff is going to make you a better player, a better person, when you finally get that opportunity to get to the big leagues? Oh, yeah. I mean, no matter what, getting up there is going to be a big blessing, but it's definitely um, helping me get more experience. I'm getting more innings now, and I'm, I can better prepare myself for once I get that chance. I can take hold of that opportunity and make sure that once I get up there, I stay up there. I know that part of the story has been injuries for you, but is there is there something else? Is there something about the nature of being in the bullpen, or is there something else that you've gone through that you can point to to say, here's how I can best explain why it wasn't working and now why it is? Nothing really. I, just, I go out there day by day with the same mindset. Whenever I cross those lines, it's just it's either me or either him. Like, who's going to eat? I go up there with that mindset. It's just like, I've got to make sure it's me every single time. What's the mentality like for you coming out of the bullpen now? How does that change? I, I don't know when the last time was that you had come out of the bullpen regularly in your life or if you had ever come out of the bullpen regularly in your life. But making this transition, how have you changed your mentality now as you prepare and when you get the opportunity to get in pitch? Um, as a starter, I feel like you got to just, Take it pitch by pitch, and you got to try to get through as many innings as you can. And you know, as a reliever, you just can go out there, up there, out there, and just let it let it all out on the table at once. So basically, I just go out there with like a bulldog mentality and just take no prisoners. Just do my best and just make sure that <laughs> no one gets in base. It's so working, have, by the way. It's working so far. I like that. Have you pared down your arsenal? Like, are you are you restricted now? Are you still using all the pitches you used at the starter, or are you now relying on, like, one off-speed pitch more primarily? Um, I throw, like, a, kind of like a slur, like a curveball slur, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, but I started throwing my, my hard spider again. So that helped out a lot. That was a lot really beneficial. Cool. Chris, Chris Lee is with us here on Glenn Clark Radio from the Bowie Bay Sox. Chris, it, in making this transition, are you at a place where you're accepting, hey, this might be the best path for me moving forward? Or is there a party that still says, hey, look, I'm happy to do this right now, but I still envision myself as being a starting pitcher long term? 
um, it's, it's really whatever they want me to be. Like, as long as they give me a jersey on my back, they tell me what to do. I do my best to help contribute. But right now, though, like, even since last year, when I spent that month in the bullpen, I had decent numbers, uh, better, than I was, better than I was starting. And this year is kind of showing, too, that, like, maybe this is the correct route. And it's not broken yet, so I can't complain right. see how it is. Right. Yeah, if it's working, no doubt, make, make it keep working. Do you think that maybe there's a part of you that, like, again, going to the mentality thing, like when you come in out of the bullpen, you know, as a starting pitcher, if you give up, you're, everybody's going to give up a couple runs. That's the way that it works. But when you're coming out of the bullpen, like you're literally coming in saying, dude, I can't give up anything. Do you feel like just the leverage maybe is something that, that helps you out, that being in that situation, that, that helps your mentality and helps you on the mound being in such a pressure situation? Yeah, yeah, I like um, I like that feeling. I like I like having my back against the wall. I like having like inherited runners on, so I make sure they don't score. Getting like that big strikeout or like double play or ground ball. And just like I, I thrive for moments like that. Like just to be like, all right, it's all of that now. Right, back against the wall. I gotta get this job done. No doubt, no doubt, and I think that's interesting, right? Like, I think for some people, that's just a mentality thing, right? Like, it's a situation where you say, "Dude, p- give me that pressure." I don't know what it is, but you can just handle that type of pressure in a way that maybe is a little bit different than handling a situation where, "Hey, if something goes wrong here, no big deal. The guys have time to go get me some runs." As a starting pitcher, mm-hmm. how much does it help to be a lefty, right? Like, you're obviously experienced pitching to both righties and lefties, having been a starting pitcher. So I imagine you don't consider yourself to necessarily be a lefty specialist. Is that right? Oh yeah, um, I feel like I could perform pretty well against both sides of the plate. Chris, are you becoming sort of like one of the gray hairs in a little bit? Like, are the guys coming up to you because you've been doing this for a little bit and asking you for advice? And because you've had such a taste, right? You've been in big league camp. You've seen, you've experienced a lot of things that a lot of guys at that level never have. Are they sort of leaning on you now as as a veteran at this point? And, and what is it that you tell them about all of your various experiences? Um, I mean, we all, we all pick each other's brains because all of us are different. We're all, we're all here for a reason. So we all, like, point out our strong suits and our cons and, like, little things that we work on. And we all just put that into, like, one little hat right there and we just pick apart each little thing and mold it into our own. Sure. And what, what is it that, you know, if, if, what's the best advice that you have to offer to a younger player right now about the various things that, you've, that would be different than if somebody had talked to you, say, in 2013? Just don't give up. Just keep on going. You're going to catch a couple roadblocks, but it's a milestone. It's the whole season's a marathon. You can't just dwell on a couple outings. It's all about how you finish. How good do you feel, Chris, about what you're doing right now and the ability that it could perhaps translate? You know what's going on within the Orioles system. It is a season of change, um, and, and your name could be called at any point right now. How good do you feel about the way you're pitching and the ability that it could translate if that call were to come soon from the Baltimore Orioles. Oh man, um, I'd be lost for words. I mean, um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just gonna keep on. Uh, all I can do right now is just keep on throwing and just hope for the best and see where that takes me. I, I hear you. It's the right attitude to have. There's no doubt about that. It's absolutely the right attitude to have. Hey, I, Chris. You know, I, I mentioned the season of change. There have been so many guys that have shown up this season in the Orioles system that obviously weren't a part of the system. Is there any one of them in particular that's like jumped out at you and been like, dude, I'm really impressed 
by this guy, I think the Orioles found somebody in this particular player. Hmm. Um, Cedric Mullins. Sure. He's, he's um, well, I'm trying to sound like all bougie, but he's a, he definitely is an entertainer, though. He's been killing it ever since he got up there. <laughs> yeah, he looks the part, doesn't he, right? Like, I think we've always thought that he was going to be the guy, but, like, He's been really comfortable since he's got up to that level, and, and that's not an easy thing to do, particularly when you're being asked to play the position. You know, you forced a legend, and he didn't force him to, but in a way, right? Like, you had forced a legend to move positions to make room for you, and yet he's been fine. He's handled yeah, that. that's huge that Jonesy did that. That's, that's huge. Like, I hope not for the best for, for Mullins. Um, he's been a great player. No doubt about that. All right, the Bowie Bay Sox have a lot coming up uh, this weekend, including Salute to Seinfeld Night on Friday night. It's an annual event they do. It includes so much fun Seinfeld stuff during the course of the game, uh, trivia and games, and then they're doing it in a lane dancing challenge at the game. It's going to be pretty great. With that in mind, Chris Lee, I don't know if it's Seinfeld. I'm going to guess it's not. Give me the TV show that you will watch reruns of Anytime they're on, no matter what, you'll just find yourself like somehow for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. You'll end up watching it, even if maybe you watch it for like two hours straight. Uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Okay, that's, that's a pretty good one, right? Like that's a pretty freaking good one. There is, of course, like everybody always gets caught up in the uh, "Why didn't he want me, man?" Yeah. episode, or right? when he's just standing in the living room with no furniture. Yeah, right. One that one too. But I don't know, man. Like for some reason, like it's tougher for me to watch those episodes. Like I, of course, I want. I just want to watch, you know, Will Smith's wacky hijinks. Or Carlton right. do something ridiculous. Right. Yeah, you never, you never, you never know what you can get out of them too. Yeah, exactly right. How old were you when the Fresh Prince was like actually on TV? I'm assuming that it was still a few years before you, right? Oh shoot. Um, yeah, <laughs> I believe I was in elementary school still. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. No doubt, man. Waking up early in the morning. Well, that and um, Saved by the Bell used to be my. All right. Go to show, too. Two for two. We're, we're on board with both of those, dude. We like them both a whole heck of a lot. Hey, Chris, give me a um, the, the thing that I most still want to improve. What is it that's still your biggest goal between now and when the, the call ultimately comes for you to get your first crack at the major league level? Um, that's when I keep on improving, repeating everything. That's when I keep on just make sure everything's consistent. Don't I just want to go up there and throw a couple of runs up here now and do a whole bunch of zeros every day. I just want to go out there and just do zero 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 zero. Uh, I mean, right? <laughs> May that continue because first fifteen innings pitching out of the bullpen for Bowie, we're talking about one earned run, one and sixteen base runners. That math works. If that can stay that way forever, it is. Uh, we're gonna be talking about a really successful career for you, Chris Lee. Hey, Chris, are, are you on social media anywhere that people can give you a follow? Oh, yes. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram. Okay. What's the handle on Instagram? Um, it's Ulysses62Lee. Is that, is that like a middle? Uh, tell me about Ulysses. Oh, yeah. That's my middle name. Okay. And, um, that's, my, that's my father's first name. Okay. okay. All right. Very cool, man. So give him a follow on there on Instagram. Uh, Chris, awesome to see you settling into this role and really settling into it and having a great deal of success, man. You've been good to us over the years, and we are rooting like hell for you as uh, as we really appreciate the fact that you're willing to come on and talk about everything you've been through, man. Thank you so much. Thank you.